0: So we're looking at two verses this morning. Primarily, well, we're going to look at them both, but we're going to look at Hebrews 12, 1 first. So if you want to open up to Hebrews 12, verse 1, that's where we'll be. We'll read both scriptures at the beginning here, um, and then we'll kind of focus on them both throughout. Hebrews 12, verse 1 is a short verse, and we're actually going to look at a little bit more around it. Eventually, Verse 1 says, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then from Galatians 3.26-29, through 29, it says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you, Who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Well, many of you probably know, or maybe you don't know, that I've been enjoying riding my bike this summer, and I've been riding my bike a lot this summer. And the more I've enjoyed riding my bike, the more I've enjoyed learning more about biking and looking at, and I've actually enjoyed getting into bike racing, which seems like kind of a, it's, it's about like watching NASCAR, but I like watching NASCAR too. So, you know, it's, it's all kind of the same thing until right at the end and then things get interesting. But one of the parts of bike racing that's kind of, um, kind of puts everybody in awe is, is this picture is what they call the Peloton in, in a bike race. And so you have a hun- like hundreds of people riding bikes. Um, in this picture, look how close they are. They're doing 30 to 35 miles an hour on their bikes. And they're just inches from one another. And when one person makes a mistake, things get really messy, right? But But that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about why in the world would they be doing 35 miles an hour so close to one another and risk all of that injury. And the reason is, and I just heard the statistic recently, that when you're right in the middle of this group, you're having to work 35% less to do the same speed. So you're, you're, you're going 30 miles an hour down the road, and from the guy who's in the very front, who's kind of breaking the wind for everybody, the guy in the middle is having to work 35% less. And so they're all getting this benefit of of... Uh, aerodynamics and wind resistance. And, and it's really, it's pretty cool. And so they all eventually, well, not all of them, but most of them end up rotating through and some, they pull at the front and they kind of break the wind for everybody behind them and then they get tired and they, they pull back in, into the middle and conserve energy for a while and then somebody else does that. And, and I had the opportunity to experience some of the benefit of that this summer. Because in getting excited about biking, I got it connected with a bike club. In town here. And and the first ride I showed up on went really well. And the second ride I showed up on, I realized I had gotten myself in over my head (laughs) because I showed up and there's like 10 guys there and all of their bikes were worth more than all of my cars. (laughs) And I went, oh, my bike I got from my grandpa for free and it's like 30 years old. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do here. And I knew the ride was going to be longer. It was longer than I typically ride. And then I started talking to some of these guys and realized that a couple of them had been sponsored professional bike racers and one guy set a record for the fastest time for his age group around Lake Winnebago and I thought, oh boy. But I got on my bike and I pedaled away as fast as I could. You know, I was just going to town. And, uh, and we started off on the ride and I knew it was longer than I typically had rode. And then I was looking at my speed and I realized we were going like two miles an hour faster than I've ever averaged on a ride. And I'm going, we're going longer and we're going faster. There's no way I'm going to be able to finish this. And so I'm sitting here getting thoughts in my head like, how do I get out of this? Right? I'm already in the middle of this. We're going down the road. What happens if I just can't keep going? I'm going to have to just quit and that's going to be embarrassing. But I just kept pedaling. And and when you ride with a group of eight or nine guys, you don't have a big cloud like this. You all just kind of go in a line. And the first guy is breaking the wind, and the next group are all kind of receiving the benefit of drafting off of him. And then he gets tired, and he pulls to the back, and then the next guy goes. And and so I started off in the back because I thought, at least I'll just go as long as I can here. And I started getting up to second place, and I was like, oh, man, this is going to be bad. I'm not going to be able to draft off of this guy and all of a sudden I noticed two guys from the back went they pulled out behind and went up in front and then I went what was that about I went, whatever good for me and I kept pedaling and pedaling and pedaling and then I got up there again and I got up right about to second place and I was getting nervous that I was going to have to kind of pull my weight at the front and all of a sudden two guys broke off from the back and pulled up in front and all of a sudden it clicked they realized I was in over my head too <laughs> and they realized This guy's never gonna finish unless we help him out. But then I started realizing, okay, this is really humbling because I'm the worst rider of anybody here. And yet they didn't say anything to me. They didn't make me feel stupid. They didn't make me feel weak. They just worked as a team really methodically and just kind of shielded me in and protected me so that I could finish. And I finished the race. Or it wasn't a race. I finished the ride, and I finished it two miles an hour faster than I've ever done on a race that was almost double my normal ride that I've done because these guys were working, keeping me in the middle there and protecting me. And I kept thinking of that as I, as I read this verse this week. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and, and the Bible's talking about this great cloud of people we have around us, and when you look at this peloton, you think it just looks like a cloud of people, right? It just looks like a big mass of people. But yet they're all working together. They're all working so that everybody's kind of conserving energy so that those who are weaker can kind of come along. The ones that are stronger are pulling more at the beginning. And they're all working together so that they can finish the race together. And so as I thought of a cloud of witnesses, I kept thinking, we're a peloton, of witnesses. And so just kind of keep that in your head that, that the Christian church is a peloton of witnesses that we're all working this together with one another, helping each other to cross the finish line. And, and it's important to understand this because of what it says. It describes the Christian life like this. It says, we're surrounded by such a great peloton of witnesses. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And he says that we need to know that we have all of these people around us because the Christian life is an endurance race. It's like, it's like hiking the Appalachian Trail, right? That's what that Caleb, as we followed him along the Appalachian Trail, it was like, man, he's going through shoes after shoes after shoes. And he just keeps going. And and it says that's the Christian life. It's this endurance race. It's, it's this bike race and you're going and you're going and there's times where you think, I can't make it up that hill. There's no way I'm going to make it up that next hill. I'm too tired. There's no way. There's no way I'm going to make it. I'm, uh, these guys are too fast for me. They're too strong for me. I'm weak. There's, I can't keep going. I just want to quit. And it says, no, you've got a peloton of people around you so that when you're feeling weak, they're strong. There's some strong people and they're going to come out in front of you and they're going to they're going to cover you and you can draft off of them and they're going to say, we're going to get you up this next hill. And then there's going to be times in your life where you're feeling strong and everything just kind of seems to be working out and you're feeling good. And then you notice somebody struggling over there and you're like, they're not going to be able to finish the race. And so then you pull out in front of them. And you say, all right, get behind me. I'm going to cut some wind and you just follow me and I'm going to pull you up this next hill. We're all working together, just kind of methodic. We don't need to make people feel stupid or weak or dumb, but we just kind of pull in, grab them, pull them along, and help them to finish the race, to make it to the end. And and one of the things that just was kind of blowing my mind this week is this picture is so much bigger than we even imagine. When we start thinking about we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses or a peloton of witnesses, we immediately start to think about our church, right? And which we should. So this is our immediate peloton that we're doing life with. We're we're working with each other. We're working together, shielding, protecting, encouraging, strengthening people as we go on. But actually, this passage is not talking about the local, your local church, your local Christian community. It's talking about the historic church. It says your your peloton that's coming with you is way bigger. Than your local Christian community, it's actually the people of God throughout all of history. That this cloud of witnesses they're talking about here is referencing all of chapter eleven of Hebrews. That's kind of that's considered sometimes the hall of faith, right? So we have here's some of the examples. I didn't, I wasn't going to put the whole chapter up there. You can go home and read the whole chapter; that would be good. But here's some parts of it. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. By faith, Moses chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And then in going through this list of God's people, all the way from Abel going through, and then it gets to the end and, and the author says, I could just keep on going. I could talk about David and Samson and, and he just starts going, I could talk about all of these people and say these are all the cloud of witnesses walking with you in your faith. They're all surrounding you, helping you to finish the race of the Christian life. And it's even more than just these Old Testament people that we read about, but he's talking about all of the people of God throughout all of history. So included in this cloud of witnesses, or this Peloton is the faithful christians from the time of the reformation from 500 years ago the faithful christians from way back in the 400s and the 500s and the 600s from you know thousands of years ago included in this group of people are the faithful christians who were in nazi germany during the holocaust they're they're all part of this peloton that's surrounding us and going with us as we follow christ they're all helping us to to get across the finish line when life gets Tough and life gets difficult. It's pretty incredible. It's, it's, a, it's a really big picture. And, and some of the ways that they help us are through uh, by leading by example, by exhorting us or rebuking us, and through encouraging us. Right? So as we look back at the people of God over, over the centuries and how they help us in, in our Christian walk is through example, through exhortation, and through encouragement. And so just look at Moses for a second, this, this last little part. And this is only part of what Hebrews 11 says about Moses. It says, By faith, Moses chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And so here you have Moses, who's you know, the prince of Egypt. He can have anything he wants, whenever he wants. He has access to anything he wants. If, if he has an urge and he wants to fill that urge, he can have it, and he can have it right now. If, he, if he's hungry, he can have food. If he has, wants something to drink, he can have that. Everything is taken care of for him. And yet it says, because of his faith, by faith he chose, he would rather be ill-treated with God's people than to enjoy all the pleasures of sin that don't really have any value. He actually says that Christ is more valuable than all the treasures of Egypt. Moses, who had all of the treasures of Egypt, said Christ is way more valuable. Way more valuable. There's there's a reward ahead of me that's more valuable than anything I can have in all of Egypt. And all of these pleasures of Egypt will give me about this much satisfaction, but Christ himself will, will give me so much more of a reward and so much more satisfaction, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to go from being a prince to giving a slave because Christ is that valuable. Now, how does that give us an example or an exhortation and encouragement? I mean, I probably don't even have to spell it out. We kind of start to get that. A little bit. As we, as we see Moses' faith, we see him running the race before us, he stands out as an example. And, and I mean, I, I heard somebody say the other day, you know, talking about Pharaoh, we look at Pharaoh and we think, man, he was wealthy. He had so much wealth. And then they said, Pharaoh would have given half of his kingdom to buy your old beater vehicle that you have laying out in the garage. Can you imagine? If Pharaoh saw you driving, even like a Volkswagen bug that's fallen apart, he'd be like, man, this is like a chariot without horses. I can go how fast on this thing? He'd, he'd spend his whole kingdom just to have your old beat-up vehicle. That, that we have so much more wealth than he did. And we really do have access to anything we want whenever we want it, for the most part. We we have we can kind of fulfill our urges, we can we can dive in and and indulge in the pleasures of sin. We we have we're in the same situation as Moses where we can just go there. And we're in a world that continues to just encourage us. If you have an urge, just do it. If it feels good, do it. And Moses says that you get tempted to fall into that, Moses from way back in history says, Don't do it. I've been there. It's not worth it. Christ is way more valuable than any of these things. Don't do it. And so he exhorts us from the past and says, "No, Christ is more valuable. Follow Him." And then he encourages us because we watch how God took His faithfulness and God was faithful to Him and blessed Him and walked with Him. And we think, "God is faithful to Moses. God's going to be faithful to me," and following. And we just watch Moses lead us by example. And so as we look back throughout history, we see these people from the church leading the way, helping us to live out our faith now. And that's why you've probably already figured it out, and you'll continue to figure it out more, that I'm going to quote a lot of dead people. (laughs) And the reason is, is because they're part of our Peloton. They're part of our cloud of witnesses that God put them on earth to help us too, to help us follow him and to make it through the finish line. And and when you read people who are living five or six hundred or seven hundred or eight hundred or a thousand years ago, when you read their writings, they see things that we don't see because they're not blinded by some of our own cultural blinders. They can encourage us in a way that People today can't encourage us. They can rebuke us in a way that people today can't rebuke us. And they can lead us by example because we can see that they were in similar circumstances a thousand years ago as we are today. Like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And so the Christians a thousand years ago were having the same struggles that we were today. And so God gives them to us as a gift and says, these people are part of your peloton and they're, and they're bringing you through and they're helping you to finish this race. And if we ignore the historic church and we just get focused on the church of today, we lose this tremendous resource that God has given us to help us cross the finish line of the Christian faith. And so I encourage you, read some old books and read some biographies about people, Christians, who lived thousand years ago or more. Um, They will help you cross the finish line in your faith. But then throughout scripture, it expands that even further to help us see that this peloton or this group of people that's helping us cross the finish line isn't just the people of God throughout history, but it's the people of God throughout the whole world. And this is just there's a ton of passages I could have went to. Here's one. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Right. So if you belong to Christ, if you have faith in Christ, you are a child of Abraham and you are part of the church. And so that means... Anybody who has faith in Christ at any part of our world is a member of the church is a member of the body and, and is a part of this peloton of witnesses helping us to finish the race and so you start to think about that think through I, I was thinking through every country that I could think of, and i didn 't do very well at geography so i, I didn 't but I, everyone I thought of i know there 's Christians there, even if there 's only a few even even North Korea has it really locked down tight, and yet there's Christians in North Korea. And you think of every country throughout the world probably has at least one or two Christians in it, and the passage tells us they are also part of this cloud of witnesses, or this peloton that's helping us to finish the race of the Christian life. And they do it the same way, I think, as, as the historic church. They do it by example, by exhortation, and by encouragement, and um, here's one example recently that has just been on my mind, and I've really appreciated it. It's by a professor actually from Liberia. His name's Doctor Jerry P. Kula, and uh, he's part of the United Methodist Church. And the United Methodist Church had this gathering earlier in the year, um, I think early summer, and they were talking about some things. And there was a group of people trying to kind of push the church. In an the denomination in an unhealthy direction. And there was even a little strong-arming going on where they were talking about if we don't go in this direction, you probably aren't going to get funding or you're not going to maybe get money and so kind of come along with us. And so this uh, professor from Liberia was part of the gathering and in the midst of it, he stood up and and gave this talk. I just encourage you to go read the whole thing. I'll give you bits and pieces of it. Um, It was phenomenal and it, cut everybody to the heart and actually swayed them to go back and to make a good decision and to start heading in a healthy direction. Um, And here's here's some of his, my heart gets stirred just reading some of what he wrote. Um, So this is him from, this is part of it. Please hear me when I say as graciously as I can, we Africans are not children in need of Western enlightenment. We do not need to hear a progressive U.S. bishop lecture us about our need to grow up. Let me assure you, We Africans, whether we have liked it or not, have had to engage in this debate for many years now. And we stand with the global church. Do you hear that? We stand with this peloton of witnesses, the global church. Not a culturally liberal church elite in the U.S. With all due respect, a fixation on money seems more of an American problem than an African one. We get by on far less than most Americans do. We know how to do it. I'm not so sure you do. So if anyone is so naive or condescending as to think that we would sell our birthright in Jesus Christ for American dollars, then they simply do not know us. We are seriously joyful in following Jesus Christ and God's holy word to us in the Bible. And in truth, we think many people in the U.S. and in parts of Europe could learn a great deal from us. So please understand me when I say the vast majority of African United Methodists will never, ever trade Jesus and the truth of the Bible for money. Amen, huh? Yeah. That's just, man, I get excited. And I think, yeah. Oh, he is. So Don knows him. Yeah, Don works under him, right? So this guy... Just I, I read that and I, just, I get chills and I go, let's go fight the good fight of faith, right? Like you, you have the global church coming in and he's saying, hey, he's speaking the truth in love with courage and boldness and saying we are going to follow Christ. We're not following money. We love him. We are in this. We are going forward. And then in doing that, Christ gives us the benefit of saying, he's a great example. Let's follow him. Let's, let's follow Jerry's lead and, and let's live that way. Let's let's be stirred up to faith in that. And then let's just take a moment to receive the exhortation that he gave to the American church. Because he doesn't have some of the cultural blinders that we have where he rebukes us and says, I think money is a too big of a deal in the American church. Money is causing the American church to make too many decisions that are not good. And so let us hear that rebuke from a fellow brother in Christ And then keep our eyes focused and look to Christ. That's the benefit of of this Peloton. Not only the historic church, but the global church throughout all of the world. And if we get too focused again on our church in this city, or even just the U.S. church, and we ignore the global church, we're again, we're losing this massive resource that God has given us. To follow Him rightly... And to finish the Christian race. But in all of this, it's important to remember that there's one more resource that is much more ultimate than the historic or the global church. In this passage, it says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, and let us run it, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The historic church is a resource in helping us live the Christian life. The global church is a resource in helping us live the Christian life. But Christ is the only resource, empowering all of those that helps us live the Christian life. It says he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. You don't even start the race apart from him and you don't have strength to run the race apart from him. And in the midst of trial, in the midst of opposition, it says keep looking to Christ because he ran this race and he's an example for us. He ran this race and he's an exhortation to us. He ran this race and he's an example to us, but ultimately he's the one who's at the front of the peloton pulling all of the weight, and he's the only one breaking the way for everyone to follow him. And so it tells us in the midst of this endurance race of life, when we don't think we can make it another step, sure, look to the global church, sure, look to the historic church, but in looking to them, keep your eyes on Jesus because he finished the race so that you could finish the race. And it says keep our eyes on him and then you will not grow weary and lose heart. And he will bring you through to the end. Let's pray. Lord, you continue to pour out blessing after blessing after blessing upon us. We see that blessing in surrounding us through the historic church throughout all of the centuries and the ages watching your faithfulness to them, watching you work in and through them for your kingdom. You bless us by uniting us with the church throughout the world, the global church, and the way you use them to exhort us and to rebuke us and to encourage us and to strengthen us. But ultimately, we thank you for your Son, the strength that he gives us, the redemption that he's brought us the way that he takes hold of us and drags us through life and brings us all the way to the end. I thank you for the promise that Christ said, anyone that I take hold of will never be taken out of my hand and that he will bring us to the finish line. Lord, keep our eyes on you and continue to give us strength as we live this life. Bring us to the end, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.